Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. I had a dream, which was not all a dream. The bright sun was extinguished, and the stars did wander darkling in the eternal space, rayless and pathless, and the icy earth swung blind and blackening in the moonless air. Morn came and went, and came, and brought no day, and men forgot their passions in the dread of this, their desolation. And all hearts were chilled into a selfish prayer for light, and they did live by watchfires. And the thrones, the palaces of crowned kings, the huts, the habitations of all things which dwell were burnt for beacons. Cities were consumed, and men were gathered round their blazing homes to look once more into each other's face. Happy were those who dwelt within the eye of the volcanoes and their mountain torch. A fearful hope was all the world contained. Forests were set on fire, but hour by hour they fell and faded, and the crackling trunks extinguished with a crash, and all was black. Hello and welcome to Cop On Podcast, you fun-sized, luminescent, sunny delight. My name's Owen, and those opening lines were from a poem called Darkness by Lord George Gordon Byron. Today's episode will feature some very special guests from some very special places, ethereal spaces that flitter through the hive mind like neutrino butterflies, places such as Leicester City Fan TV, crack stats, and the Anfield rap. I'm delighted to bring it all to you, but just as the bells jangle and the barrier goes down to let the train of this special bumper episode through, one more thing. For the record, and may this be a permanent record, the online racial abuse aimed at Manchester United player Axel Twanzebe is absolutely vomit-worthy. And as a citizen of this planet that we share, may I remind you of the words of a man who is an emperor to many, Haile Selassie, um, who said to the United Nations, I believe, in around about 1963, that until the philosophy which holds one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned, until there are no longer first-class and second-class citizens of any nation, until the colour of a man's skin is of no more significance than the colour of his eyes, until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race, Until that day, the dream of lasting peace and world citizenship 
and the rule of international morality will remain but a fleeting illusion, to be pursued but never attained. Enjoy the episode. I'm really happy because um, two uh, excellent uh, Reds from around the world uh, are with me right now on uh, Skype. Modern technology. I'm delighted to be joined uh, for the second time by Stephen Drennan from The Amazing Crack Stats. Do check out Crack Stats. Uh, C-R-A-Q-U-E. Uh, some marvellous Liverpool FC and football in general related content and analysis from there. And also, um, I'm joined for the first time on Cop On Podcast by Gareth Roberts from the Anfield Rap. Um, Gareth, I've got to start with you. Welcome to Cop On Podcast. Um, I hope you are uh, doing very well today, uh, despite the awful loss. And uh, Neil Atkinson from the Anfield rap said, you know, he's probably right. We're going to learn to laugh about the Allison uh, mistakes that he made yesterday as we're recording this. Um, but I'm not there yet, Gareth. I'm in a I'm in a funk. I'm in a bit of a tiz. And uh, I'm I'm, you know, I'm in Garth Marenghi's dark place. Uh, how are you? Yeah, I mean, look, gutted, obviously, um, because it was. The, our last hope, really, I thought, of of defending the title this season, winning the title again. I think that's gone. I think we needed to win at Anfield for, uh, for, to have any chance of that happening. Obviously, uh, we did not. And uh, Alisson made the uncharacteristic mistakes. Um, laugh about it is maybe a bit much from Neil, but equally, I'm not the other side either. These things just happen. I've, seen, I've been watching football for a long time. I'm 44. Um, and, you know, these things happen to the very best players. No player ever has played well in 90 minutes of every single match of his career. So it's just got to be put into context. And people seem to not like that word on the internet right now. They don't want to listen to context. They don't want to listen to the stuff that's gone on in the past. And that's for them. All, all the really reactionary stuff is not for me. Um, I, I'm really sort of disappointed generally, not just because Liverpool lost yesterday, but in general lately with the standard of football journalism. I think it's getting ridiculous now how quickly we jump down the throats of footballers um, it's getting worse and worse online in terms of the abuse they're getting. And we can't wave this away and say it's just because of social media or whatever. It's it's a decline in, in humanity for me, which is a big phrase. But honestly, like these lads are there to entertain us and play football. And sometimes it'll go wrong. I think they deserve a bit more credit when they brought us the league title, the European Cup, the, you know, the European Super Cup and the World Club Cup. Um, so I, you know, I I absolutely refused on our post-match shows to throw anyone under the bus yesterday, um, because Alison and all the rest of them have brought me loads of joy, and I, I honestly thought I, there was times there where I thought we'd never ever see the title back on Merseyside with with red ribbons wrapped around it, and we have, and that's thanks to these boys. So I won't be kicking them while they're down anytime soon. It's a lovely answer, and you're exactly right um, in, in pretty much everything you said there, absolutely, because it has been too much from some quarters, although I am very um, trigger-happy with the block button, so I'm very happy that among the uh, 6,000 or so uh, Reds fans that I follow on Twitter, I've only seen people complaining about people complaining, and that's a, a big credit to those 6,000 of you, so thanks very much. Um, 
Stephen, how are you feeling after that result yesterday in general? I mean, is it, is it uh, I mean, I, I agree with Gareth that it, it does seem like our title, any fading hope has finally disappeared, like, you know, that writing uh, in, in the beginning of Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, I can sort of only echo everything he said. I agree with everything, particularly what he was saying about the... Uh, sort of nastiness and hate, I guess, that's increasingly becoming prevalent on Twitter and social media in general. I think uh, someone said to me once that the things that you say on Twitter is basically like the things that you used to say to in front of your mates when you were growing up, and one of them would slap you around the head and say, you can't say that. Like, what's wrong with you? But that doesn't seem to be happening anymore. So people go on to Twitter and they find people that share that opinion and therefore it just sort of grows from there. And that sort of nastiness, I guess, that, that's never sort of slapped out of you as a kid by your mates, it just sort of turns into something much, much worse and, and sort of grows in there. And I don't like it. And, and whenever Liverpool have a bad game, I just get off Twitter now because there's no point. Uh, it's not my job to police the world. And I've, I've caught myself doing it a few times, basically just saying to people, like, don't behave like that. And it's like people reply saying, you're not my dad. What are you talking about? And they have a point. But, but I also... Uh, I'm, I'm from a, a time when I, I used to go and watch Glen Torn in Belfast when I was growing up and uh, I remember whenever there were moments like that um, the older fans would tell you how to behave and it, it, again it's just that sort of that learning process of learning how to behave and how to act and how to treat other people uh, and what's right and wrong and I guess you learn your morals from that it just seems to not be happening as much today or maybe I just didn't notice it before and i'm very naive it's it's one of those but i don't like it so um yeah I've, I've sort of avoided social media pretty much until now uh recording this and i'm sort of better off for it because i just don't need it in terms of the result um unlike garth uh i'd sort of thought the title had, had gone a long time ago simply because I, I, this season doesn't seem to have a way that we can recover from the problems that we have um i, I didn't i think it's something that will take a lot of time on the training pitches to fix and also people coming back and, and we're not going to get either of those things this season and so mentally i'd sort of accepted that probably for my own sanity that uh, uh, there wasn't going to be a title defense uh and i accepted that quite a while ago um even if i wasn't sort of so vocal about it but just in my head i'd sort of accepted that that was going to be the case but i'd also said before the season even kicked off that i thought this was going to be a very bad year for us more than other teams um, just because all the things that we build up as strengths for ours have been taken away. The um, Klopp's a good coach whenever he has time in the training pitches. We look a lot better. Uh, we use a lot of energy and pressing, so we need more time to recover. Um, the, the lack of a pre-season, the lack of fans in the stadium, we build up our connection with the fans. So obviously, if they're not there, it has to have some negative impact as well. So I just thought it was going to be a bad year before it started, and, and it's sort of come to pass. And... I don't feel better because of it, but maybe I'm just not so devastated or I'm not reacting to the fact that it's happening as much as other people, I guess. So maybe it's it's just like that. Yeah, very interesting stuff. And we shall uh, dissect uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, the, the carcass of the season as it lays um, before us uh, as we get through this episode. But um, I want to start, um, as it's your first time on Cop On, I'm really delighted that you, you're you with us, uh, Gareth. Uh, I'd like to start with just a couple of questions about your, your sort of story. Now, um, 
you know, I, my name's Owen Thomas, and I sound about, uh, I don't know, as Welsh as, uh, I don't know, um, uh, Inspector Cluzo or something. I don't know. I, um, but, but my father was uh, Welsh, and uh, I'm from Jersey, so, you know, that explains, you know, how I got my accent just from BBC TV. Um, but you uh, obviously are from Liverpool, Gareth, but you have a Welsh name. Um, but, you know, in your family history, I'm interested, in your family connection to Liverpool, when did your family move there? Um, I've got no Welsh connection whatsoever, Owen. Um, I might have a, a Welsh name, <laughs> um, but the Robert bit of the well of the of the name is actually Scottish. Um, oh. But n- not not in any generations that I've been familiar with in my lifetime. So all of my, you know, my mum and dad's, me my grandparents on both sides, uh, all all from the Liverpool area, um, and then going back before that, you know, a few people in the navy and things like that and what have you. But but no Welsh at all. Uh, we did holiday there literally all the time uh, as kids and uh, <laughs> every time we went and I would play with kids you know they would say well where about are you from in Wales then Gareth and I would say Highton and they were like haven't heard of that <laughs> and I was like because it's not in Wales um, but yeah I, I have I have been explaining all my life how I'm not Welsh so it's not a new thing um, but you know so yeah no no Welsh I'm afraid I wouldn't well, I mean, it's OK. I forgive you. I forgive you. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Liverpool is an absolutely fabulous place. I lived there um, a long time ago now uh, as, as an 18, 19-year-old. Um, very much enjoyed this city, even though I was in a slightly dodgy area called Toxteth. If you don't know it, um, uh, then it was it was fairly dangerous back then. I don't know what it's like now. Uh, but uh, Highton had a reputation for being a little bit dangerous. But what we love about heighten of course what it's famous for amongst liverpool fans is stevie g and so all i know about it is that reputation from when i lived there i never went there that it was um also like toxoth a little bit sort of neglect a neglected area but then you had this talisman this hero stevie g coming from there and I don't know if you could tell uh, us a little bit about height and maybe that's all nonsense and the reality is completely different. I don't know. Tell us about it, please, Go. Yeah, there's different parts of height and uh, as there is with anywhere, really, I would guess. So, you know, there, there are the council estates. They are, they are the, the areas that have been um, neglected, as you say. And um, a lot of the money that did come into height and at one stage came from Europe. But uh, let's not get into that. But, you know... That, that might be a reason why uh, a lot of people from the area thought we maybe should have stayed in Europe. But anyway, um, and but there were you know there were posher bits of height and shall we say as well. I wasn't from one of those areas, but there were uh, there still are. You know, there's there's where height and borders with Prescott. There's a golf club and things like that, um, and some fairly expensive houses. So yeah, it's a little bit of a mix. I mean, once upon a time it was a a, a traditional little village and old old pictures of height and look absolutely fantastic unfortunately um you know the 60s and 70s happened and town planning happened and someone decided that rather than maintain the oldie worldy look they'd knock it all down and build nondescript crap buildings in the place um and that's what happened but in terms of the place sort of growing up um it's changed an awful lot again since since i grew up i mean now there is an absolutely huge as they're in the middle of it um, at one point it was, uh, I don't know whether it still is, but at one point it was the biggest in Europe. Um, and no one no one seemed to stop and think that if you put a massive supermarket in the middle of a place, it may impact on some of the smaller traders. And guess what? 
that's exactly what happened. So Highton Village uh, for a while there became pretty desolate, pretty grim. A lot of the little shops that I knew and loved growing up uh, closed. But it seems to be getting back on its feet, I'm pleased to say now. They spent a bit of money there again. There's a few little traders popping up again. And, you know, fingers crossed they can get back to somewhere where it once was. Um, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed my time, you know, growing up in Highton. Um, you know, I think most people, unless you've had some absolutely awful experience, you know, you will sort of, it's in you to defend where you're from. Um, as you say, I don't think lots of other people have got lots of great things to say about Highton. But I think I think loads of it is exaggerated i mean it's got the it's got the uh a little a little song if you like or a little rhyme associated with it which is height and height and two dogs fighting um so you know it's commonly no you know you say you're from height and people say oh you're from two dogs are you lad um and you yeah i mean you know so there's plus or minuses from coming from an area where, which is supposedly hard or supposedly tough or whatever because you know of course everyone who's from there is not necessarily like that um, on on Steve, he, he he grew up, you know, literally a stone's throw from from where I grew up. It was across the other side of the Alt, the River Alt, which runs through. I and I used to actually deliver papers to uh, to his estate, to his road. Um, so I know it well, and I know exactly where he's from. And in fact, me one of my best mates' brothers uh, was in the same class as Steve, and he's 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 obviously a few years uh, younger than me. Um, but it was well known with Stephen that he was he was coming through that he was that good at football really. I mean, I remember um, a barber's in Highton where I always used to go, which wasn't too far away from where Stephen grew up again. And there was a picture of Stephen on the wall in that barber's before he'd even played for the first team. Um, that was the sort of because everyone knew everyone knew how good he was. He'd been talked about for years. You know, he was the best in his school. Then he was the best in his secondary school. And it was sort of, you know, everyone knew he played for Western Juniors. He was great for them. He'd been picked up by Liverpool. So it just goes, it just goes around, you know, Height and, and even Liverpool can be, you know, regarded as a fairly small place in terms of gossip because things get around fast. And when there's a good footy player, you know, coming through, everyone's heard of him. It was the same with Wayne Rooney when he was at Everton. So, yeah, we were all, we were all just waiting really for him to come through. And it's funny you should mention Toxter because it was a similar story you know, a few years before that with, with Robbie Fowler, you know, same again, you know, he's come from a working class area. Everyone knows how good he is. Everyone's got a story about him, it seems as well. I mean, another next door neighbour of mine uh, had played footy against Fowler as a goalie and had been chipped. And, and just, you know, just in a junior match, uh, Fowler had chipped him from the halfway line. Um, so he had his own sort of little story about Robbie Fowler. And again, it was the same with him. We all knew he was coming through. We all knew how good he was. And I love it when, when that happens as well. I think, you know, the romantic side of football uh, should never be downplayed. It's what it's all about. You know, a, a kid from the streets of Liverpool ended up playing for Liverpool is absolutely brilliant. And long may that type of thing continue. And it's great to have, obviously, Trent and Curtis in the side right now, sort of following those footsteps. But yeah, Heighton's not as bad as many people say, is what I would say about the place. And there's a, there's been a lot of talent from there, uh, musically, football-wise, and everything else. In fact, I know someone who's writing a book currently um, about uh, all, every single footballer that's come from Heighton down the years, and there's a lot. Um, and and for such a small place, it's it's been a bit of a hotbed of football talent. Uh, I don't know what happened with myself. 
I just tended to uh, kick people <laughs> and and generally get told to you know not 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 carry on playing football because you're causing fights again, Gareth type of thing. So, um, yeah, the, the 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 whatever magic there was in the water, uh, football wise around fighting, I didn't have a drink of it, unfortunately. Gareth, j- just a quick one. Out of curiosity, when I was growing up in in Belfast, there was never really any coaches around, like. Uh, people who had done their coaching badges and knew what they were doing in terms of how to teach kids. And mm. is that something that's the, the complete opposite, I assume, in Liverpool? If there's a lot of if there's a lot of good players that come from that area, I'm assuming that, that whenever you, at, at a junior level, you find coaches pretty easy early in your career? Do you know what? I mean, it certainly wasn't my experience when I was growing up. My experience of it was that there were a lot of football teams in the area and it was quite well organised. So, you know, any park... And there was a few in Heighton, for instance, would be full of people playing football all hours, all the time. And and, and, and I mean organised and I mean not organised, so equally on the streets as well. You know, people would be playing football all the time, all day, same on the parks. And you don't really see that now, but, you know, there, there was there was what you would call coaching, I suppose, but not to the level of what we know now and not certainly not people with badges. It was more, you know, you'd play for your school or something like that. And if you were any good... You would be spotted in the same way scouts spot, you know, lads and take them to Liverpool Academy or whatever now. Then it was they would be taken to, you know, Heighton Labour or St. Aloysius or, you know, all of these little teams that operated, amateur teams that operated in Heighton that were a mixture of sort of young lads and older fellas but competed at a decent level. And, um, you know, I went to a talk um, not so long, well, say not so long back, probably about two years now, but Peter Reid did like a sportsman's dinner. He's another one from Heighton. And uh, he was talking about, and it was it was a fundraiser for uh, for one of the Heighton football teams. And he was talking about Jubilee Park, which is, you know, what one of the areas I'm on about where there would always be football played. And he said, you know, teams didn't like coming to Jubilee Park. They didn't like playing against St. Aloysius and the other, other teams that used that park. Because you were in for a tough game, it was known. You know the way the way Owen talked about you know the reputation of height and well that the same reputation of height went into the football as well. And I think it was just you know everyone played and and you just had to find your way. And if you were any good, you know likelihood is someone would sort of lead you along a bit of a path. And certainly a few of my mates, you know, nearly made it if you like. You know, I had I had a mate who had trials with Barry, I had mates who had trials with Everton and and it wasn't uncommon, that kind of thing. There was there seemed to be, you know, now this is probably the first time I've ever thought about it, but, you know, growing up there was loads of people in my school who were having trials, there were scouts coming down. It it was just one of those things. I can't really explain it. It wasn't down to absolutely brilliant coaching. It sounds more like your experience in Belfast in that you know, there was there was loads of people playing footy. I think it was the, that was the main thing, and it was the main thing that everybody did, and it was the main thing you talked about from the moment you got up in the morning to the moment you went to sleep at night. There, there was nothing else. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It was it was all about football, and I find it weird now, even with my own children, that you know they don't feel the same way. Um, and I've tried, I've done my best to drum it into them, but they're just not having it. But um, but you know that we didn't have, and it, and it does sound a bit like I'm getting into you know it was all fields then type territory now. But you know we didn't have any other distractions either. We didn't have the the whole digital world or, to get into or anything like that. So we would we would literally play football from sunrise to sunset, um, and I guess that in itself you know it is a form of training, albeit not coaching. 
Yeah, it, it, it's pretty much the same in Belfast. Uh, growing up as well, it's pretty much all anybody ever done. You'd always see kids in parks, and if you went down to the park the weekend, uh, you didn't play for a team. There'd always be a team that would take ringers just to fill in spaces, yeah. and you'd be like, yeah. "Right, your name's Barry Davies this week." Uh, <laughs> if the referee asks, and that's the way it was, and 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 I don't see that. Like even here in Brazil, actually, it's very interesting. Just in the last maybe five or ten years, I see less and less kids playing football. And when I first arrived here, it was it was like it was when I was a kid in Belfast. There was always kids playing football everywhere, but you just don't see it as much nowadays. You see them with mobile phones in their hands, and yeah. Um, but when you go towards the communities, there is nothing else still there because they're all poor. Um, they don't have mobile phones and playstations and shit. So, so you still see that uh, when you go to like uh, communities in Brazil. So uh, it's probably one of those those things where there'll still be a lot of talent that comes out of Brazil, but it'll probably really be focused in the in the sort of favelas and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's all very fascinating. I wish I could. Um regale you with 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 some stories of of my youth but no i mean i i mean jersey's a very small place um uh i went to graham lasso's school not quite as exotic as uh stephen gerrard um and uh i used to play football with about five of my mates and we were rubbish um uh yeah i mean it is all very nice but i want to talk about football i want to talk about the current liverpool team and it's bad times it's bad times but um Stephen I'd be very interested to ask you about this because you you know you analyze a lot of football you look at the numbers the quantitative analysis as well as the qualitative and um I want to ask you a question um just basically how bad are we really now I was looking at our record since losing the first leg to Atletico Madrid. That was February the 18th last year. So it was uh, just about a year ago. Um, after that 1-0 loss, that we didn't play very well. Uh, we, we've won 26 matches, drawn 11 and lost 15. So we have a 50% win rate. Prior to that match, that first leg against Atletico Madrid, in all competitions, we'd had the same amount of wins, 26 wins in just four months with just three draws and one loss, which is an 86.67 win rate. So in the long term, that, I don't know, that you can point to all manner of reasons uh, as to why, and it's very complex, but how bad are we? Are we going to struggle to make the top four for the rest of the season, Stephen? What do you reckon? Well, getting back to that word that Gareth used earlier about uh, context, the, the thing with data is that um, it kind of ignores all context and it requires the person that's, that's using the data to deliver that context around what was happening. So, I think that first game against Atletico Madrid, the second game against them, that's pretty much as good a game I thought we played last year, up until the point where Adrian had a meltdown. But we just absolutely controlled that game from up until we got two goals ahead. We, uh, sorry, two one ahead. We just controlled that game entirely. They got nowhere near our goal, and then Adrian just had a, a mental collapse. And it, it's interesting the way that probably that single moment has kind of defined everything that came after it. And everything that came after it is basically a pandemic where we couldn't train or play for months. 
And then we've just tried to compress as much football as possible into a small, it's almost like 10 months of football into, the, into like a seven-month period, which is just insane. And the players, I, I said at the start, um, whenever you do that, you don't have time in the training pitches, which is where managers try to solve problems that they have, like tactical problems or um, having time to focus on a certain thing that isn't quite working. You can't do that. If you don't have time in the pitches, you just can't do that. And pre-season, again, that's where you would maybe make a change to what you've been doing previously. If you've no pre-season, you can't do that. So I said right from the start of the season, I thought it was going to be a bad season. I didn't I didn't know exactly what it would look like. I just knew it would be bad. I thought we'd have more injuries. Uh, I thought we would, if we get into like a, a struggly patch, where we tend to always do that every January, but if we get into one of those struggling patches, I thought it would be pretty particularly bad because it would be hard to dig harder to dig your way out of it without having the time and also the the players fit and ready to sort of do something different, put a little bit extra in. It's just not there. So the context of that period of time you're talking about, there's a lot of things to bear in mind with that. But also just the fact that like footballers are human and. Um, mentally, I think we've all really struggled in the last year. It's just been probably the worst year of many people's lives, certainly up there. And, and it doesn't matter what you've gone on. It's just a bad year. And footballers aren't immune to it. It doesn't, doesn't matter that you're earning loads of money. You still have friends and family who are struggling. You'll still have people around you who are getting sick and dying. And no one's immune to that. And when a footballer's uh, distracted at all, it makes a huge difference to their game. And so having just all of this going on, all the distractions and all of that context, it isn't to dismiss anything or to f- not to forgive it or to explain it away, but it's just something that people just need to bear in mind and be, I don't know, like sympathetic towards. Um, it, it's just been a hard year and, and the football's no different. And sort of mentally writing it off has been good for my sanity. And maybe more people should probably do that. Maybe not have big expectations. Uh, whatever happens, happens. And it's it's very hard to change it this year. In terms of how good we actually are, I think lots of the expect, expected goals models from, from different sites have us between being either the second or third best team this year, even regardless of results, just in terms of the chances we're creating and the chances we're giving up. We're about the second or third best team in the league. Results don't match that, obviously, and that's all, all that matters for most people. But it, it's important context, again, uh, to say that we're not playing as bad as results suggest. But the other thing as well is whenever you look at data, it doesn't tell you what's going to happen. You, um, like, for example, we don't know what uh, Tuchel coming into Chelsea will mean for Chelsea. We don't know if uh, Spurs, if they sack Mourinho uh, and get someone in who can change their fortunes. We don't know what that would mean for them. They're, they're only like four points behind us, I think, with a game in hand. So that could have a big difference to our season. Um, and also, we don't know what difference it'll make having actual defenders for us in defensive positions for the rest of the season. And how having our midfield back and actually being able to rotate our midfield properly and maybe have players that are fit in some positions, like in the engine room of the team. So there's a lot of things to think about that we just don't know how it'll work out. Um, I think we'll qualify for Champions League without too much problems, but you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and I would suggest people just uh, sort of maybe chill a little bit and tone down the anger 
about everything that's happening because it's just unnecessary and unhelpful. Uh, just for your own mental health, just don't do it. Just relax and chill a little bit. You don't. You can still care about football, but don't don't be angry about it. You know. It's a great answer. Um, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm I'm very glad I stopped drinking because um, I would have probably you know, had a few yesterday and felt a lot worse. But I think you're absolutely right. We have to just accept that it's going to be up and down this season. Um, but Gareth, what do you think? I mean, Leicester City last season in the Premier League, they won 18 matches, drew eight and lost 12. So they had more or less just under 50% win, win rate. Uh, and they finished fifth. They missed out, of course, on the Champions League. At the moment, in the Premier League, um, Liverpool have played 23, only won 11. So we're just under this 50% win rate as well. Uh, and we're currently fourth. Um, I mean, are you fearful? Are you relaxed? Are you chilled about the situation? Or are you fearful of losing out? on the top four or do you think now we've got Kabak and Davis and Jota coming back we're gonna see the upturn that we you know really want to see yeah I, I mean look I, I think there's always there's always stuff that you can you can grab hold of and, and look at and say look there's, there's stuff to be positive about here and, and again it's, it's felt like today and certainly last night that it, it's not what people wanted to hear but you know what's tough um, like you know, I watched a thing that Jürgen, an interview Jürgen did after the game yesterday before, and I really liked it because I think lately he's become a little bit more honest. He's a little bit freed around the edges himself. You know, I like what Stephen said there about you've got to remember everyone's human here just because, you know, they play football or they manage in football. They're allowed to have a tough time themselves. And, you know, I, I think it's a really hard season to predict how it's going to go, um, even even with the sort of the data of half a season, if you like, already. I mean, of course, we can all look at the league table and we can look at last season's league table, but I almost think last season's league table is pretty irrelevant because, as Stephen's already alluded to, it, it this season's concertinaed into, you know, a smaller gap, if you like, and it's just absolutely relentless. I mean... You know, what I was still saying when I was watching City creep and creep away from us even before the weekend, I was still wondering, will they have a period like we have? You know, will they experience some injuries like we have? And, you know, there's still European football to, to return and, you know, City are a, a little bit weird about it because they still haven't won a European Cup. So could that be a factor again? There's loads of could be, could, you know, might be and all the rest of it to throw in. And I, I keep an I don't know about yourselves, I keep an eye on, on the odds for sort of top four and for winning the league and stuff. And they've changed so often, even even in half a season. And that, that says it all really. I mean, it, it just it swings around about it really is. I mean, we've gone from Solskjaer being, you know, Ole out uh, trending on Twitter and all the rest of it and, you know, United fans seemingly haven't had had having had enough. So all of a sudden he's like, you know, Messiah and he's going to win the league to a bit more of a reality check now that the five points behind City. So who knows? It's really sort of, it's really tight, isn't it? And, you know, you look at Liverpool in fourth on 40 points and you look at, you know, Everton even. I mean, as loath as I am to say that um, in, in seventh. So it's going to be really tight. But I, what I would say is I think maybe yesterday... 
to say it was to our advantage is going too far. But I do wonder about mentally, does it allow them to switch off a little bit now, if you know what I mean, in a good way? So what I, what I mean by that is I was looking at those quotes from Alisson, or sorry, from Klopp about Alisson, where he was saying, you know, he came up to Klopp at the final whistle and he was like, oh no, not in this match, not in this game, why type of thing. And that just said to me, there's a fella who's been thinking about that game too much. You know, he's he's gone into the game and he's probably not alone going, we've got to win this, we've got to perform today. And almost putting too much pressure on yourself to the point where you can't play your normal game. So I wonder now that, you know, the title's gone and that now we are just aiming for top four and there's a little bit of pressure off. You know, we, we can maybe play with a little bit more freedom. And you mentioned there about players coming back from injury, players who we've brought in as well. You know, if we can do the basics and play, you know, some defenders in defence and some midfielders in midfield, you would like to think that that improves us. You know, and I don't like this weird criticism that's already arriving for Thiago because I just think Thiago didn't come to play with this setup. He come to play with the midfield that won the league. He come to play with the lads up front, fresh and firing, not looking round at everyone else for for who's going to blink first in terms of doing something creative. So, again, I think if we can move Henderson back into midfield, I mean, I'd love to see Fabinho there as well, but I don't see that. I think he's probably likely to job in defence for a while. But I think that will make a difference too, as Jota, who you mentioned as well, means we can freshen up the front three. I think I think loads of the plans have just gone out the window, and it's been a culmination of of reasons that have just formed a perfect shitstorm. And um, the way I've been looking at it as well is that we've had to drop our levels massively for everyone to be able to land punches on us. You know, we were we were out of sight last season. No one was on our level uh, this season. You know, everyone's big enough city, and okay, you know, the recent run they've been on's brilliant. Fourteen is it on the spin? Great, but you know. That points total that they've posted so far is not that impressive in the context of Liverpool's last season. It's not that impressive in the context of when they were breaking 100 points. So, you know, it's there's been a drop-off from everyone. And, you know, I, I just think it's a, it's a weird season. It's a tough season. There's no fans. There's a pandemic. You know, it, there's a constantly changing picture. That, you know, one minute, we're, you know, it's not so long ago. It was only the other week where we were worried about could we fulfil fixtures again? Because all of a sudden, a few of them were starting to drop away. You know, City had lost the game. There was loads of games in the leagues below that, that, that you know, went by the by. So all of that could still happen. There's loads, There's so many unknowns. And I think football normally is preparing for what, you know, what you do now. And, you know, you've got the analysis, lads. You've got the video, lads. You expect to pretty much be able to put out your same 11 week after week. And that's what Liverpool have largely done under clock over the last two years. Then all of a sudden, bang, bang, bang. And I just think loads of the stuff, that's, it's just absolute hindsight. Like the, the absolute extreme reactors whose knees are jerking all over the show about the manager oh. and all the rest of it. No one could have foresaw a situation where three first-choice centre-halves, three brilliant centre-halves are out for the season. No one can see that. You know, you, you, there's, there's no planning in the world, sensible planning around the football club or football team where you go, OK, but what happens if three of our centre-halves are out for the season? You know, if you were in that meeting and someone said that, you'd go, what? Well, what happens if there's four then or five or six? How far do you want to go here, mate? So I just think, you know, we loads of people 
you know, we get we get this banter analysis these days, and it's all like, oh, the Scousers complaining about injuries again, or the Scousers, they're the only ones affected by no crowd. No one's saying that. But these aren't excuses, the reasons. These are explanations. These would these would test. These are circumstances that would test any football club. And I actually, you know, I would actually say there's some of an argument here to be saying Liverpool have done well to stay where they are to this point because it would have been easy for them to feel sorry for themselves and be and be further off where they are now. So we're, as it is, we're in touch. We're in fourth place. We've got 40 points. We've got Leicester this weekend. You know, destiny is still in our hands, if you like, in terms of securing Champions League football. That's what we've got to do. A run in the Champions League that we are still in would be nice as well. And I just look at it like that as well. You know, of course, it was horrible to lose to Manchester City and lose in that manner. But look, just think about it. If we beat Leicester, if we beat Leipzig, and if we beat Everton, how would we all be feeling? You wouldn't be, Owen, you wouldn't be thinking about, well, what would they have been like if it was still on the aisle? You might be on the aisle again if if we've won those three. But you know what I mean? <laughs> I just think things can quickly turn again. We, we've got to accept, I think, like was said before, we've got to accept that the title's gone and okay. But look, we won it last year. We won it last year after three decades of waiting, after all of those failures, after all of those times when we were so close and then we didn't get there. And again, people see it. some people, I should say, don't like to hear it if you say things like, and I'm going to say it anyway, if you'd have told me that you'll win the league in the following season, you won't, I would have bit your hand off because I wanted to see Liverpool win the league in my lifetime. I didn't just want it to be things I'd read in history books. And I, I started going the match in 1990, but it, it was 1990, so, you know, I started going in the season when we didn't win the league and then I've been going for every one of those 30 where we didn't win the league. So to finally win it is just this huge thing off the club's back and it doesn't mean it then gets easier to go and do it again. No one, you know, no one realistically can say that. It's also a thing, obviously, that it's really, really hard to defend the title. There was evidence for that anyway. And now, there's ever, and now we're in a pandemic on top of that and an injury crisis on top of that. So I just think, you know, I, I'm absolutely fine with the context. I'm absolutely fine with, you know, this manager, this group of players. And I think, you know, we just all, I, I totally agree with the advice a second ago there. We all just need to calm down. We all just need to take a minute and we need to support these lads the best as we can because it's obviously only from afar. But who knows where we can end up? I'm not saying we can go and win the Champions League. That would probably be a step too far. But I think we can have a run in it. I think we can get top four. And I think we all just need to take a bit of a breath about where we are. Well, yes, indeed. Absolutely. And and very well said. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. Uh, I mean, nobody at Copon has ever questioned Thiago. They are absolutely uh, nonsensical Um you know, arguments against him slowing the play down. You just look at any kind of statistical analysis. If you if you can't see it, if you can't just see how brilliant he is, just look at any stats. Like, for example, I, I saw an article the other day questioning his tackling ability. And of course, he tackles in a very strange Marco Verratti slidey way. But he's actually been our top tackler, you know, in, in the games that he's played by by a long way. Yeah, he does actually win the ball. Very well, but yes, and in terms of Jurgen Klopp, anybody insulting him, I mean, they're not just 
bananas. They're the whole fruit bowl. Um, um, Stephen, there's one thing, though, that does, uh, under all this, concern me with this team. And it's something that you mentioned before with the lack of pre-season and the intensity of our play. And it is the idea of fatigue, both mental and physical, with this team. Um, and I just think, well, I want to talk about Leicester, really. But going into the Leicester match with these six days off, um, is that going to be enough to start recharging the batteries and we can actually start, you know, flying at Leicester with all of the anger that we've built up? And uh, are we again, after I looked at our record at, at the King Power, it's absolutely amazing. We've won five and drawn one of our last six matches there. So are, are we going to do the same? We're just going to go there and kick some butt. Yeah, I mean, physically, uh, six days is plenty of time to recover um, from, from one football match to the next. Uh, the time to worry is when they're they're stacking up sort of six, uh, three games in six days, um, which we've had a few times this season. Uh, and that's when you, you simply just don't have time to recover from the last match properly. Um, and that's what we had recently, where we had uh, pretty much the exact same midfield, Milner, Wijnaldum and uh, Thiago playing three games in six days, and, and that was b before the City game. Uh, and you get worried about the accumulated minutes on the players, their ability to recover from that, and their ability to play at a high intensity the next game. Um, so physically, uh, should all recover in time for Leicester. The, the thing about mental fatigue, though, is um, and everybody will have their own experiences to draw on here. Everybody must have a time in their life where they just felt exhausted. And it, isn't, it doesn't necessarily mean a physical thing. It's just like, where you just get wore down with work or life or whatever or this pandemic or anything at all that wears you down and and then it's a case of well what do you need for that mental fatigue to start to go away and you kind of just need a total reset and sort of they're still in the middle of a season they're still going to go to training every day next week and they've still got another match to prepare for so i'm, I'm not sure if uh, in terms of mental fatigue they'll probably need a holiday They'll probably need like a, a proper pre-season break because there wasn't really one this summer. Um, so in terms of mental fatigue, if players are actually feeling mentally tired, I'm not sure that that's going to go away anytime this season. Um, and that's not just to be a diner on it, but people will have their own experiences drawn and be able to connect to that. You just It isn't a simple thing. It just goes away overnight um, when you're just feeling run down. And again, people think million, million pound footballers aren't, uh, are sort of immune to these things because they're rich and they'll have like all the best doctors and psychologists if they need it to talk them through. It doesn't matter. Like everyone's human and everyone has the same capacity to feel run down or not, uh, to feel like they need just to like escape from things just for a week, just to get away from it, to, to reset on things before they go at it again. And uh, footballers are no different. And, and if that's how they're feeling, then that's how they're feeling. And there's not really much you can do about it. Um, like with younger players like Curtis Jones, for example, if he's failing, you just simply take him out of the, the team for a while. And that's why a lot of young players just sort of come in for a spell, play a lot, and then they go out again. And it's just to give them that, that reset so they can properly learn from everything they've done, uh, sort of actually gain from the experience. In contrast, I remember Emiliano Insu, uh, Insu, I think it was, the Argentinian fullback, 
uh, under Rafa Benitez. He he came into the team and he just played because there was no one else to take his place. And he just played and played and played and put performances just got worse and worse and worse. And he went from being like a, a promising young talent for us to like someone who needed to come out of the team because he was a disaster every game in the space of a season because we just over the season we just ran him into the ground. Um, so it's interesting like uh, how mental fatigue as well as physical fatigue affects players and everyone's different. But um, it's it's complicated and it isn't sort of something that's going to get solved just because we don't have a midweek match, I guess. Um, in terms of how we actually come out for the Leicester game, I imagine this week the focus is going to be on trying to get at least one of the new defenders properly bedded into the system and actually use one of them. And then we need to start rotating the midfield better so that we're not in a situation where three players are play- they're starting every game in, in, in the space of six days because that, that'll just lead to further injuries. It, it just becomes a vicious circle where if you have your midfielders playing in defence, then you end up having all of your central midfielders on the pitch so none of them can get a rest until they get injured. And then you're just trying to shoehorn a winger in the midfield to try and make up for the fact that you've got no other central midfielders. Um, so, And that's kind of where we've been for a lot of this season. Uh, and it just becomes uh, a vicious circle, or as, as John Oliver liked to call it, the fuck barrel, where once you're in it, you just can't get out, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse the more it goes on. Um, and we've kind of been in that situation all season, and you just can't dig your way out of it. But going back to something Gar said, th- the thing about this season is because there's a lack of training time uh, for managers who, like say, for example, Chris Wilder, who, who are very tactically astute and solved a lot of problems last season, um, with things they did on the training pitches. If they don't have the time this season to do that, it becomes a great equaliser, whereby the quality of the manager sort of doesn't really matter. So the likes of Klopp and Guardiola and Solskjaer and Chris Wilder all end up on the same level. Um, and then it just comes entirely down to the quality of the players. Um, and uh, that's been the thing I've noticed a lot this season, where if Chelsea go out and play a team that are weak, then they'll beat them because they've got better players and they have all season. But whenever Chelsea come against any of the bigger teams, they don't they struggle because they the quality is about the same. And then it's about the little bit of preparation that the two managers have done before the game. Um, and that's been the way all season. It's the same with uh, Manchester United. Uh, they've tended to struggle more this season when they've played better teams. And they've tended to batter the, the little teams. Uh, and that's what you need to do well in the league. You need to pick up as much points as you possible from the 14 teams that you're much better than and then just eke out some points against the other six uh, teams that are all about the same in terms of quality level. Manchester City are a bit above everybody in terms of quality and they probably have been for quite a while simply because they can spend a lot more than all the other teams. They've literally spent uh, like a billion pound net uh, in the same time that we've spent about 200 million. So they can kind of just blow everyone out of the water. And once we start getting past a couple of injuries, our squad depth just isn't there in the same level as Manchester City. Uh, and again, that's a consequence of um, us having players signed on a Bosman and players signed on 8 million instead of play- like 40 million, 50 million fullbacks on the bench. Um, so it, it's just one of those things where Manchester City are always going to have more quality. And if it comes down to the, play- the, the squad players that are usually on the bench being your starting players then Manchester City are just going to have a lot better team than us. Uh, and that's just the reality of it, unfortunately. Uh, and that's where we've been pretty much all season. All season we've had most of our starting players injured or coming back from injury 
or run into the ground and about to get injured. Uh, and it's just been that way all season. Um, and so, yeah, and I'm not sure where it's, it's going to be a thing that takes time to change. I think we need to stop this idea of thinking it's just going to change overnight because it's probably not. Um, we'll probably have the same thing with the Spurs and West Ham games where we'll have good moments and we'll have another bad moment. And until we have a lot of uh, the ability to rotate the players properly, it's going to be difficult for a while. The good news is, is I think with um, Quebec and, and Davies, if they can start starting matches for us, uh, and if they could start most of the matches between here and the end of the season, it would help us so much. Uh, we'd also have Jada back, and then we can actually rotate our forwards properly, because when we put a Rigi in, the, the system just doesn't function as well. Um, so it will get better. I just, I, I, I want to just avoid the idea of it might get better overnight, or it, it should get better for the Leicester game because it might not. Um, so I just want to, I wanted to spell that. But like Gar said, the possibilities are to have a good run in Europe. We're much better than a lot of sides we'll face in Europe. Leipzig are a good team, but um, we, we definitely have better players on them. Uh, and, and we could definitely beat them over two legs. So I, I'm not too worried about it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to think about the next match. Just that it's, uh, it's probably going to be something where it'll be a gradual improvement. As and when we get players back. Well, yeah, it's a very excellent answer. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, you know, it's. It, I agree. It could be a long way in terms of mentally to get back uh, to get back on song, but for six days should be enough. Um, I do um, know, thanks to Google, uh, that there is a, a water park in Blackpool called Sandcastle uh, that apparently features a lazy river. And for the 18 plus, there is an adult only spa area featuring heated lounges, a sauna and a steam room. So I recommend perhaps Bobby Firmino could spend a few days there um, going down the lazy river on a sort of silver um, uh, rubber ring or something. Um, you think that's where yeah. Flop took Van Dyke? <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah, to sign him. Absolutely. Exactly. I mean, 75 million and a free ticket to Sandcastle. Um, Gareth, what would you do against Leicester? Just one final question there. Just, uh, you know, what would you do? Would you would you change anything tactically? Uh, bring in one of the new guys? How are you feeling about it all? I think we've got to see Kabak in there. He is, he, he is the, he's the defender of the two we signed who, who looks to be closer to the standard that we would want. I think uh, a lot of people were surprised that we signed Davis. And while there's been some good reports about, you know, levels he could reach, I think, you know, there is quite a big difference between obviously the the championship and the Premier League. So I, I think Kabak's the more likely to be to be starting in the Liverpool side sometime soon. And hopefully it's this weekend because as, as we've said, as we've all said a few times through through this conversation, you know, to get midfielders back in midfielders in midfield and, a, and an actual defender in defence would would be great because, you know, for even Fabinho, I think for all the great work he's done and he's been fantastic back there, you know, I, I think you're just starting to see little bits and bobs now where you're like, you know, you can see he's a midfielder ultimately and, and, and that's, that's no slight on him. He's been doing an absolutely different job than, you know, he was signed to do. But you know the, the the penalty, albeit that they miss it, I thought it was a bit of a dozy challenge. And he, he he's done a few of them where you know you can get away with it in the middle of the park. It's absolutely fine. It's what midfielders do all the time. They they stop the momentum of of the attacking players. But you can't do it 
in or around your own box because you will give away free kicks like we saw at Old Trafford and you'll give away penalties like you saw at the weekend. So, yeah, it all feels like, you know, I, I think Stephen was right talking about some kind of reset is needed and I think it'll feel like a reset if you've got a new lad in the team. You know, that's exciting for everyone. Um, you know, we all saw that clip, I'm sure, of of Quebec Megan, um, Trent in training and stuff like that, and them all enjoying that. And then you're seeing Andy Rabo posting about it later. So you can you can just see that having him around already has been a lift. Um, and you know, all the reports are that he's a he's a good he's a good player and can be an even better player. He certainly looks like he thinks he's staying at Liverpool, judging by all his social media. I mean, I don't ever. He knows something to the rest, different to the rest of us, because we're all under the illusion it's a it's a loan. But he's saying to to everyone and buying flats and all kinds by the looks of it. So he, he fancies he's staying, and I think if he was in the side, that gives everyone a boost. And let let's see what he's about. And look, you know, you can say it's still early, and you can say it's not typical Klopp to put someone in at this stage. But equally, you know, we can almost regard it as a free it if he comes in and plays well. Then he comes in and he plays well and everyone's happy. If he comes in and he makes a mistake, well, you just say, listen, we wanted to try something different. He's new at Liverpool. He'll learn. He can get better. All of those things. Um, so I'd like to see Kabak in. But then beyond that, you start to think, well, what what are the other changes that can be made? I mean, um, I said before about how things keep rolling over and one thing seems like a consequence of the other. If you think back to before we had, before we didn't have all these injuries, you know, one of the things we always talked about was, well, you know, the fullbacks look a bit knackered because they play all the time. So we could do with a bit of cover there and a different option. And I thought it was interesting against City that, you know, when the game was lost, which it was, um, Simicast comes off the bench for Robertson. And, and that just said to me, you know, it's at the back of Klopp's mind. We've got to get Robertson a rest somewhere. We've got to get him a rest somewhere. And I'm not saying it'll be this weekend. I don't think it will be. But the amount of football the lads played... You know is is unbelievable and if there's been a drop off as a consequence then you can blame him and you know but but i think he's probably been looking at the defense in recent weeks and going well i'm already playing you know reese williams or i'm already playing nat phillips i can't throw simicas in because you know all of a sudden you've got four lads who've never never played with each other so he, you know he's gone with experience he's gone with that's why you've seen fabinho and henderson etc back there and that's why you've seen you know, Trent and Robertson both retain the places even when they've looked a bit goosed. So at some point it would be good to try and rotate those out and get them a little rest. I think the same applies to Genie. He's just played so much football and I think you're starting to see it. And he mentioned it himself in an interview the other day. He said, you know, it's really difficult to stay fit for all of these games. It's relentless. He was saying he was going in on his days off to get like... Oh, what was that? Uh, he was saying he was going in on, on uh, days off to get extra treatment to, to keep his fitness up and stuff like that. You know, all that toll on them mentally and physically is a bit underplayed. I think we don't talk about it enough. It's all very, oh, well, he didn't get a result to the shit or they did get a result to the great. You know, you don't you don't think about enough what, what their lives are like and what they're going through. So, yeah, in terms of this weekend, I think, you know, there's not a, lot, a whole lot he can do. Jota's still not going to be available by the looks of things. So the front three will still be the front three. Um, and then, you know, you, you go back from there. I mean, where is he changing it? I thought I thought Curtis um, did well against Man City and you would imagine, you know, only being 20 years old, he can step in and play another game. I'd quite like to see him again because I thought he was a bit unfortunate to be hooked at the weekend, to be honest with you. I thought it was um, a, a strange one that 
and and possibly a little bit conservative to bring to bring Milner on at that point. I could do it. My my only way I could justify it in my head was that maybe. He wanted he wanted Shakiri on there, who can be a difference maker, can get you a goal, can win you a match, and then sort of you know that so it was bad bad Klopp was throwing on Shakiri and good Klopp was going if you throw him on you need someone who's grafting behind him okay Milner then so you know I, I think that's maybe what happened there but it was it was slightly harsh on Curtis so maybe get maybe get Curtis on on there because I thought he was a positive from the weekend you know a lad only 20 years old, who's cutting it at that stage. You know, all, there was obviously loads of praise and, and will continue to be for Foden. And, you know, rightly so, he played well. Um, but, you know, Curtis is not looking like he, he can't swim at that level. You know, he, he looks he looks like he can strut it with them. He was very unfortunate not to score a goal as well. And all the stats from the game w- were good as well. So, yeah, possibly Curtis in midfield, uh, Kabak coming in at the back, and then the rest... As you were, really. I mean, you know, there's there's obviously a bit of fuss and fluster around um, Allison, but not for one minute will the manager drop him, um, because a it would be ridiculous, and b you haven't even got you haven't really got a number two who's exactly knocking on the door. I mean, Callas has done all right, but not to the point where you would be dropping him um, in place of Allison. So, yeah, I think it would be pretty much as you were, really. I mean, it'd be nice, as I say, it'd be nice if if we got more and more back from injury. I'm not quite sure what's happened to Kaita. His name doesn't seem to have been mentioned for a while, even in terms of getting an update on where he's at. So at some point, it'd be good to get some return on his fee. We know what he can do. We know he can be a match winner, but he hasn't been enough. So if he can start to contribute this season, he's another one people aren't really talking about him. Everyone says Joss and everyone says the lad's at the back. But, you know, look, Kaita on his day has, has shown, and it's not been enough, like I said, but he's shown he can win football matches for Liverpool. He's shown that he can be a clever player, particularly, I think, against, you know, these low block sides that we've been struggling with. I think Keita, when he's on it, is the type of player who, who can get you through those defences. He can score a goal, he can pick a pass, he can go on a run. So it'd be nice to know where he's at and whether we can get him back soon as well. But yeah, that's a very long-winded way of saying maybe two changes for the weekend, isn't it? <laughs> On Naby Keita, I was actually reading something the other day, and I can't remember where it was for the life of me, but it was from one of the journalists connected with the club. Uh, and he was basically saying that Keita's on a special uh, training program at the moment just to build up his, his, his core strength more so that he they don't bring him back from one injury just to get another, which has been like a perpetual cycle he's been on since he yeah. picked up that groin injury against Barcelona. So... Um, it, it looks like that's what they're doing. He he could probably play yeah. right now, but they want to get his core strength up so that he's ready to play a lot of games rather than just play one game. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, and that's exactly what it, what he should be doing. Um, exactly, because because we do want him back. I mean, I think he's a phenomenal player. Fifty four million pounds uh, was his transfer fee, and I think he's worth it. I really do, because I I do think he's fabulous when he's. You know that just those little glimpses when he's had a few games and he's survived a few games and he's got a little bit of rhythm. You you could see, wow, he's a, he's a, he's a phenomenal in waiting. So hopefully, uh, you know, all the best to him. But uh, I, that's pretty much all we've got time for. Unfortunately, uh, chaps, it's been absolutely brilliant. Uh, thank you so much uh, to Gareth and to Stephen uh, for joining me on Cop On. It's been 
absolutely brilliant so all listeners do uh, subscribe to the Anfield Wrap if you haven't already and do check out Crack Stats C-R-A-Q-U-E um, and uh, both these, these guys are on, are on Twitter as well but thank you so much Gareth and Stephen Cheers Okay, so in the next part of our show, I'm absolutely delighted and thrilled to be joined by Jack from Leicester Fan TV. Um, welcome to Cop On Podcast, Jack. It's an absolute delight uh, for you, uh, you know, to be speaking to you about the big match on the weekend. Um, can you can you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about about Leicester Fa- Fan TV and and your connection with it, please? Um, well, I'm a creator. At Leicester Fan TV, I'm officially a part of the team. Um, we do shows every match day. Um, so we do watch-alongs. So there's me, Jamie, Phil, um, Locks and Tom. We all have a Leicester City show on a weekend or in midweek games where we all have fans on to get their points of view. We all go through like team selection and... We have a Sunday aftermath show, which is normally after the games on a Sunday morning, which Jamie hosts. But normally that's like been like after probably like before every match. So it's been difficult to get the aftermath show, as we call it. It's like basically the Jamie show, we call it, because we've not had a game on a Saturday for a long time. And this is like the first Saturday game in a while. So... Yeah, that's what we do. We're a fan channel. Great stuff. Yeah, do tune in, uh, you know, listeners, if you if, if you want to hear the, you know, Leicester City perspective. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Jack. Um, I want to take you back uh, to the summer, Jack. Uh, Brendan Rodgers was under huge pressure. Uh, Leicester were in uh, such a good position last season, of course, before, unfortunately, they, they had this sort of collapse. You had to fifth. I'm sorry to remind you of that. So at the start of this season, uh, Brendan had only brought in a teenage defender from Saint-Étienne, a right back from Atalanta and a winger on loan from Roma. And I remember hearing several Leicester fans on several podcasts say, you know, really doubting the manager. I, from your perspective, how do you feel now compared to how you felt at the start of the season? Um, I wouldn't say we'll dart in the manager. I just think it's like the business end of the transfers. Like With players obviously injured, we had a few injuries at the end of back end of our season with obviously Madison and Ben Chilwell. Um, a few mentioned, um, obviously, Sionku got injured. One of our main centre-halves. We had Johnny Evans, who obviously won't play the first three games due to the red card he had in the last game of the season against Manchester United. So as fans, we thought, well, we've not really evened up the numbers and we were like, kind of like panicking. It was like panic mode and I'm just glad Brendan got the business done and, you know, they did their business quite wisely, Leicester. We sold um, Harry Maguire, which we got £80 million for. Um, we sold Ben Chilwell in the summer for another £50 million. So £130 million, two players isn't bad. And we've created good business and we've spent our money wisely, obviously, with Castagna coming in and um, Wesley Fofano um, and Cengiz under from Roma. So 
we've not done too bad business and these players seem to have been good because with the fans being like in panic mode they thought oh we've got all these injuries oh we're going to be bottom of the table f1 rotors off at the start of the season they're going to think that because leicester's got all these injuries and they didn't really hear much transfer news leicester would start like games in like the relegation zone and that so i'm just glad we've got through this period spell where we've not had to worry and we've actually got the business done to be where we are in the table now so we've kind of like kept working hard and we are where we are on merit basically so yeah i'm quite happy with it yeah it's great stuff i mean 43 points from 23 matches third in the table just two points by manchester united and three ahead of liverpool so it's been a great season for you really um what are some of the things that have pleased you most about this season um pleased me most um I guess it's the way Brendan Rodgers has man-managed his team and the way he's made his team believe that they're very good in their abilities and that he's made them bring their talent out onto the pitch and he's made the players think, okay, then, well, you are good enough. So go and show and prove to people that you are good enough to play in the roles that you are. And obviously with Wesley Fafana, he came in from St Etienne, no Premier League experience whatsoever, and he's been very imp- impressive from a fan's point of view. Um, he's like a young head on older shoulders, shall I put it? Um, Castagna's come in, fantastic right back. Um, obviously, we had Ricardo Pereira injured at the time, and he's came in and done a really good job, and obviously. With Castagna, he's had a few injuries. Um, Harvey Barnes has stepped up this season. He's starting to score quite a few goals in front of goal. Last season, he didn't. He kind of like panicked in front of goal. He were like getting the assist, but not the goals to go with it. And this season, he's been very impressive, improved in the areas they needed to improve. And with Brendan, I think he's made certain players believe in their own abilities and we've gone stride for stride rather than taking two steps backwards we've gone two steps forward this season so yeah um harvey barnes and Fafana and castagna for me i think they've been very impressive but impressive the most this season which you'd find underrated is james justin we basically call him the luton cafu but um he's been very impressive this season um he's took the role and, you know, he's a very young player with a lot of experience now than what he had before, obviously, with Ricardo in that last season. He got through in it the deep end when buying him from Luton for £8 million. And he's done great so far. And this season, he's improved even more. And that's down to Brendan Rodgers' man management. So you can't really thank Brendan enough for what he's doing with these players. And he's making players believe rather than feeling disheartened when they lose games. He's picking them back up and saying, oh, well, you've only lost that game. Next game, you can pat yourself down and go again. And that's exactly what we've done. 
Yeah, it's very, it's very, very, very um, great to see from the outside. It's brilliant to see how Brendan is, as you say, giving belief to the players, watching them develop. You mentioned Harvey Barnes there as well. He, he, I mean, he's really come on a lot, hasn't he? Um, adding an end product to his game, for example, seven goals and three assists in 22 appearances for him this season and uh, the same could be said for James Madison now I mean James Madison's been been talked about for for a number of years and he's been you know shown that he has excellent technical skill but then this season six goals and five assists as well how important is James Madison to Leicester I think with James Madison you know they compare him to Jack Grealish at Aston Villa and you know with James Madison He's a very technical, gifted centre-attacking midfielder. What lets him down is his set-pieces. His set-pieces isn't great on time. I don't know whether it's because he likes the real pinpoint ball, the perfect ball to, like, from corners and uh, free kicks. But James Madison, on his day, is absolutely fantastic. You know, he's unstoppable and he's still young and he's still got a lot to learn. So, with Madison, he's come on quite a lot since signing for us um two seasons back so yeah coming from a team like Norwich and then going to a team like Leicester in the Premier League he's had to adapt to his game and work harder and he's I think he's done that exactly but he's he's kind of like worried with like a few knee injuries and obviously last season he had a few injuries and this season the same so We've kind of like had to watch James Madison with his injuries, but if you can keep him fit, he's absolutely superb on his day. So, yeah, he's been a cracking player. Excellent stuff. Um, your talisman, Jamie Vardy, um, has been a thorn in Liverpool's side. Uh, seven goals in 12 appearances against the Reds uh, and 11 goals in the Premier League already this season. But I believe seven of those um, were penalties. Is there any sign, any little tiny shade of a sign of him slowing down a tiny bit? Or is he as lethal as ever? Well, Brendan Rodgers seems to think he's getting better with age. So, with Jamie Vardy, you know, he's struggled with like a hernia problem this season. Um, I'm not sure when it first started with him, but... I think it might have been gone on for a while because there were games where the Southampton game and the Chelsea game where he didn't score. And we were kind of like worried because Jamie Vardy would go one-on-one and you'd think, oh, he's going to bang them in. Oh, he's going to run these defenders. And it hadn't quite happened for him. And, you know, as Leicester fans, he's now 34 years old. So you just worry about Jamie Vardy. And, you know, because obviously every team in the league knows what Jamie Vardy is about. Keep keeping on like the last man and keeping on like the edge of defenders and running in behind and scoring goals and obviously with the hip injury what he's had previously it's kind of like kept him out it's slowed him down a bit but that's down to the injury I don't think that's down to Jamie Vardy himself but I knew I think he knew he was hurting because Jamie Vardy you know he you expect him to bang him in for fun and this season he hasn't really done that but I'm just glad that with Jamie Vardy this season, we've actually scored goals without him, which has improved Leicester in their game. Because every other year, it's always been if Jamie Vardy's not scored, Leicester's not scored. But, 
this season we've learned to like deal with that and we've scored goals without him and I think that's improved in our play because every fan now asks Leicester, oh, how do you plan without Jamie Vardy? And I don't think we know how to do that yet because there's a plan, obviously, with the hierarchy at Leicester and obviously Brendan Rodgers himself, he'll be looking at a younger striker who's going to bang in goals every week, who's going to come in at some point when Jamie Vardy does retire and he'll be a massive hole in Leicester's striking and development. So, yeah. Yeah, lovely answer. I mean, I, I, I do agree. I mean, I've, I've I watched Leicester quite a lot. I mean, I do really enjoy watching Leicester play football. I have done for many years, really. But um, the, yeah, I mean, the rest of the team are really, you know, coming up uh, to his phenomenal level. And it's it's nice to see that no one can accuse Leicester of being a one-man team, uh, even if they ever did. But uh, but having said that, in the last four matches, um, after a run, wait, going back to the the first fixture in the new year on the 3rd of, of January, you played Newcastle and you went on a run of five consecutive wins in all competitions. And then in the last four matches... Um, Two draws, a loss, and just one win against Fulham. Um, what's been going wrong for the past four matches? Anything in particular? I don't think nothing's gone wrong. I think with, obviously, Jamie Vardy, you know, the Southampton game, the Chelsea game, obviously he played the Newcastle game. And, you know, he, he wasn't scoring. And you just think to yourself, well, what's kind of like happened here? And I think you were, I think you were like, with Jamie Vardy, he knew he was struggling because you could see the wince on his face when he was talking to Brendan Rodgers, when Brendan Rodgers brought him off each time. You could tell something wasn't right in his game and Jamie Vardy is a person. You could tell something was bothering him and we didn't know. And, you know, I'm just glad that we've actually kept up in scoring goals, why he's not been scoring and why he's actually been on the pitch. Because I think that shows the determination and motivation this season in our play that were actually good enough to play without Jamie Vardy at times. And it's proved in Leicester's game in confidence as well as we've been winning each game. So with Jamie Vardy, it's obviously a huge miss, isn't it? With him being a prolific goal scorer. And then you think he's all, well, he's not scoring goals. How do we like work around it? And we've kind of like done it this season and we've kind of like settled for it. So, with Vardy, you know, he's a big miss in any team. If Liverpool had him as a striker, it'd be a massive miss. And, you know, you just got to learn to adapt without him, really. If he's injured, he's injured. You're not, you don't want to, like, make it worse for him. Because you could lose him for a longer period than what we've lost him for. So, I guess we're lucky, in a way, that we only lost him for, like, the... I think we lost him until the Wolves game. It went for an operation after the Chelsea game. And then after that, you know, out for a bit, he missed a Brentford game in, on the FA Cup that weekend. And we got him back on Sunday for the Wolves game, which shows confidence, really, that we've actually got him and not lost him out. So basically, we're lucky. We've not lost him for a long period of time because age, Mex, and it's not just a number, is it? It's how your body feels. So, and obviously with Jamie Vardy, he's 34, 
you know, you worry when they get them players like that, get them sort of injuries, and you think, oh, well, he's going to be out a long period of time. But I think in a way with Leicester, we're just happy that we've got him. Yeah, great stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, I hope he plays. He should be playing against Liverpool, right? And uh, also, what other injuries do you do you have? I mean, Jamie Vardy will be fine, but uh, Ndidi, is he going to play? And have you got any others? Ndidi will be fit for, tomorrow, for tomorrow's game against Brighton. So he'll be fit for the Liverpool game. Um, it's just bedding him back in after a tear to his hamstring. Um, Castagna and Fofano will be out of... Saturday's game against Liverpool so they're two main players out apart from that that's it and obviously Dennis Pratt he'll be out as well so yeah so it's uh, it's Soyun Chubet then and, uh, and and Ricardo Pereira yeah Soyun Chubet and Ricardo fine yeah they'll play against Liverpool right. okay. so it's just uh, Castagna and Fofana which will obviously be unavailable for Saturday's game Okay, so so if you were to pick a team for us, then it'd be Casper Casper Schmeichel in goal and uh, Ricardo at right back. Uh, yeah, yeah, Ricardo at right back. Um, Soyuncu and Johnny Evans is the centre back pairing. Um, James Justin left back. Um, we'll have Harvey Barnes, Yuri Tillemans, Wilfred Ndidi, James Madison. Um, Jamie Vardy, um, Harvey Barnes. I think, hold on, give me a second. Just have to four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh, and I have Mark Albrighton. I think it'd be Albrighton on the right hand side on Saturday. I presume that's a strong team. Yeah, that's a really strong team. Okay, and uh, if you were to set up a team to play against that lineup, uh, what weaknesses would you try to exploit? Um, I think our main weaknesses this season has been set pieces, free kicks and corners. Well, I don't think we've had any more weaknesses apart from them key areas. Because Leicester this season, it's always been about set pieces, corners and free kicks. We can't really defend from set pieces. I think that's been our negative side of our game this season. That's let us down. So if any team was going to come for us and win a game, it'd probably be from set pieces. Apart from that, we seem to be quite sound. Yeah, great. Okay, well, thank you very much. Um, Just uh, one more question then. Um, You know, Liverpool, we've, we've, we've... We've been very, you know, good generally, almost surprisingly brilliant sometimes against Leicester recently. We've got a great record at Anfield. I made a mistake earlier in the show, in the in the first section. I, I said that uh, we'd won five and drawn one of the last six at the King Power, but that's actually our record at Anfield. So sorry to the listeners for that mistake. At the King Power, um, four wins and two losses from the last six matches for Liverpool. Uh, what do you think is going to happen this weekend? How do you think it's going to go? Um, how Liverpool's playing at the minute with, obviously, they'll say it's down to injuries and obviously Klopp thinks it's down to cold feet and stuff like that, which is excuses he's giving now. He's losing games. Um, so... I'm hoping Leicester win. I think Leicester can win. If Leicester can play their game, they can beat Liverpool. But our home form this season, it's not been great. And we've struggled at home. Our way form's better than our home form. 
which is surprising to say. So, I think with how Liverpool's lost to teams like Brighton, they got battered against Manchester City and lost uh, to a team like Burnley. It's not Liverpool's confidence. They don't seem to be in the team they was last season. I don't know whether that's because of injuries with Van Dijk out and that, but I think as a manager, you can't really use excuses in the Premier League. Like, oh, I've got all these injuries, but you've still got to find players to play in them areas, haven't you, in who's going to play in them positions. I think with Klopp, he, do, he don't really know what to say now. Now he's losing games. Yes, but I do think the injuries, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm 41 years old. I've been watching football all my life. I've never known any club, although it sounds like an excuse, I do think it's a valid reason. Because uh, I've never known any club to have an injury crisis like this. I mean, if you imagine, you know, there were eight players missing uh, against Brighton. I believe there were six first-team players missing. So imagine, you know, Leicester without six of your best players in, on the, f- and also moving, uh, for example, you know, if it gets that bad, you've got to play Madison at centre-back, for example. I mean, this is <laughs> this is the kind of, you know, thing that Liverpool are dealing with. But yeah, I see what you mean. Like, I mean, it's the Premier League. We should have a deeper squad. But uh, you're, you're, you're saying that, you know, you, you fancy a, a, a Leicester home win then? For the weekend? Yeah, I fancy a home Leicester win. Um, after the um, draw against Wolves at the weekend, um, we just need to get our mojo back. Um, we, we lost a lead 3-1 at King Power last home game, which was a big knock of confidence for us because everyone expected us to go and beat Leeds and I think Leeds expected Leicester to go and beat them. But I guess with the Premier League this season, it's unpredictable. You can't say you're going to win a game and be guaranteed three points this season because it don't matter who you're playing. Anyone can drop points against anybody. If you looked at the Man United, they lost to Sheffield United. Who would have really expected that? And we beat, we went to Man City and beat them 5-2. So I guess this season, it's, it's, it's really open, isn't it? It don't matter where people are in the table. It's just it's who turns up on the day and the better yeah. team wins. So absolutely, absolutely, very well said. Thank you, thank you very much, Jack. It's been an absolute pleasure to get this uh, preview uh, with you to hear your views. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, as you say, may the best team win on Saturday. <laughs>